This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Max Jeffrey and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and James Forsyth. We've spoken on this podcast before about how the opposition to Boris Johnson hasn't been particularly organised, but one man clearly at the front of this has been Jeremy Hunt. James, tell us about his week. So Jeremy Hunt on Monday had a, a moment of decision, which is he had previously said that people should hold off on sending their letters in, that you know the war in Ukraine was not the appropriate moment for a leadership contest. But you know, on Monday morning, Graham Brady came out and said, look, the letters are in, the vote is coming. And Jeremy Hunt decided to go public with the fact that he was going to vote against Boris Johnson in that in that vote and that you know he thought that without change the Tories didn't have much chance of, of either delivering you know on their promises or of winning the next election that was then followed by I think what I would have to say was the most vicious bit of blue on brew briefing I've seen on the record in my how many years I've been in Westminster now 16 Dean, which was Nadine Doris just went out and you know, studs up and went after Jeremy Hunt on pretty much everything. Boris Johnson survived that vote and then, then a few days later Jeremy Hunt's week did not improve when the government decided that his constituency should be uh, drilled for natural gas, which I think was, was, um, could be seen as one Tory MP put it to me yesterday quite, quite punchy. I think Jeremy Hunt felt that, you know, he's told his local paper he felt it was his duty, he had no choice but to do that. I think the mauling that he got from Nadine Doris was also a sign of how hard and how viciously Johnson and his allies are prepared to fight to try and and save his job. I think the the nightmare in a way for Jeremy Hunt was he was in an impossible position on Monday. If he had said nothing, people would have said, well, why are you saying nothing? People now will say, ah, now that he said he's going to vote against Boris Johnson, you know, how could he unite the party afterwards? And I think the party will be looking for a uniter. And one MP on the One Nation wing of the party pointed out to me last night that it was quite interesting that Tom Tugendhat, who has been very critical of Boris Johnson, avoided saying publicly which way he was voting in the confidence ballot. And they were saying, you know, that there is obviously a debate on the One Nation side of the party about, you know, is Tugendhat, you know, the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, former soldier, as, as Katie writes about in this week's magazine, you know, him or Hunt, which one is the better candidate? You know, Tugendhat has never served in a government job. Hunt has been Foreign Secretary. Health Secretary has a whole slew of experience. So I think one of the things to watch, in a way, is there is clearly a, a kind of one nation lane of the Tory leadership contest. And, you know, watch that positioning between Hunt and Tugendhat there. And I think also now the other question is, does Jeremy Hunt choose to have said his piece and go quiet? Or now that he, he has you know, come out and said that he would vote against Boris Johnson, does he kind of maintain that position? And does he become part of this debate, which I think will come in the autumn, which is, you know, do you change the rules to allow another vote within 12 months? Katie, do you see Jeremy Hunt moving to the fore as someone like a Steve Baker figure, perhaps, who emerges again and again saying that Boris Johnson needs to go? Or do you think he's going to go quiet for the next few months after this? I think now Jeremy Hunt is out in many ways in the sense that he has not said he plans to run to be Prime Minister, but he's not been particularly subtle. I mean, he spent the past month or so promoting a book, which has meant he's given multiple interviews and lots of hints saying, you know, 
after he was in the final two in 2019. He wouldn't rule out Goat being Prime Minister again, didn't put a timestamp on it, but you don't exactly have to be Sherlock to put together a few things. Him saying now's the time for change on Monday, combined with previous comments, to see that something is going on there. I do think, though... I think Boris Johnson has had a bad week with that confidence vote. I think that has weakened him. But I also think Jeremy Hunt has had a bad week. I don't think Monday was good for Jeremy Hunt for some of the reasons James has just outlined. I think the fact that he probably went the furthest of any potential candidates in turning on Boris Johnson meant that I had government figures saying to me, and these are not people who are, you know, huge Boris Johnson fans, effectively saying lots, there was, there was a mood in the party turning against Jeremy Hunt because there were some people who didn't want to have a vote on Monday. And I think the fact that Jeremy Hunt had the most public statement, you know, saying now is the time for change, meant that he was easy to blame. It was easy to blame Jeremy Hunt and his supporters for putting them in this situation in the first place. Now, that might be completely unfair because letters were coming in from various different parts of the party. But just just highlight how, you know, the old saying, you know, he wields the sword never wears a crown I think that does hang heavy on potential candidates and I think we saw on Monday why that is the case James Jeremy Hunt has run for the Tory leadership before do you think he's wounded by the loss of 2019 I think in a way in 2019 he was in an almost impossible position which is the the party wanted a kind of full ball Brexiteer and that's why it went for Boris Johnson I think the interesting moment in May 2019 was when Boris Johnson offered him defence secretary which is you know I think most people would agree a rung down from foreign secretary Jeremy Hunt decided to decline it and go to the back benches I think as time has gone on you know that looks like the right strategic choice for Jeremy Hunt because he can say you know look I'm someone who's both got government experience but also hasn't served in this government and that is one of the things that makes him appealing to his supporters i also think that you know his book which katie referred to i think actually is a kind of properly thoughtful attempt to look at what he did as health secretary and what he got wrong and what he got right and i you know i think he deserves credit for a kind of level of reflection that you don't always see in our politics i think one of the difficulties for him in a leadership contest though would be that if he were to make the final two People find it very difficult to say that they made the wrong decision last time round, And I think a lot of Tory members would feel like they would have been asked to say that they voted the wrong way in 2019, which I think they would find difficult. Obviously, it would be a fresh contest, but I think that's how it would feel, to I think, to some people. Katie, as James says, when it came to the Tory members last time, Boris Johnson won two-thirds of the vote and Jeremy Hunt a third. If he does run again, what do you think his pitch will be to the membership? I think it's partly what James was just saying, which is that he is... I don't think I'd want to say anti-Boris, but he is the opposite of the Boris Johnson pitch. And I think there is always a tendency in the party to overcorrect. And you see that, you know, in the leaders who succeed one another. So Theresa May was initially seen as very organised and so she had control, but not particularly flashy or slick in the way that David Cameron was seen as quite a slick politician. Then you had Boris Johnson brought in, who had more bombast. And now I think people are saying, oh, actually, maybe we don't want that. Maybe we want to go back to, I mean, Jeremy Hunt has been referenced to, you know, Theresa May and Trias as well, less charisma. Those are not my words. That is a critique by someone Nadine else. Nadine Doris. <laughs> yeah. um, I think someone once said that in an honest quote, now everyone in the Tory party always refers to it. But now that people are saying, oh, well, actually, maybe we do need to go back to that. So I think the pitch would be, uh, you know, sensible statesman like traditional Tory values and, you know, bringing back a sense of, you know, 
dignity to proceedings and saying that you didn't have that during Partygate. But I do think one of the problems would be if you look as though you were the person who has potentially undermined Boris Johnson's premiership or derailed things at a rate that makes others unhappy, then you might have a stop Jeremy Hunt campaign, just as you may well get a stop Liz Truss campaign from those who don't want Liz Truss to instead. it. And that is not something that you ever really want because it makes things much more uphill. And Katie, you wrote in this week's magazine about the Tory cadets who want a shot at the top. Jeremy Hunt is an admiral's son. And can you tell us about the other candidates and their links to the military? Yeah, so this is just something where we're obviously not at a Tory leadership contest yet, but I think when everyone's trying to work out what the events of Monday actually mean, in a way, so like, oh, well, you hear one argument, which is you know, Boris Johnson's actually in a better position because he's now safe from challenge for 12 months in theory. The James Outline's in the Suits magazine, while that is not quite the case. And ultimately, he can now do as, do as he pleases. I don't buy that particularly in the sense that I think it has weakened the Prime Minister. And I think since Monday, I think people have been far less subtle about being on manoeuvres or talking about who they think should be, you know, the next Prime Minister. And therefore, I don't really think this is about to happen in a week or a month's time but it has really reopened the leadership question and I've been struck speaking to a few you know ministers former ministers that there seems to be the sense of you know almost sending the army so I had one um, senior Tory say to me that they were serving activists and they said you know who who would you think would be good and it was Ben Wallace who's defence secretary and Tom Tugendhat who's chair of the foreign affairs select committee but the group specifically said that they liked that they served in the army now Defence credentials have always been a plus in the Tory party. That's nothing new. But I think it's a combination of two things, which is one being obviously the situation in Ukraine, I think, does lend itself to this. But secondly, I, I do think, as one former minister said to me, it's becoming almost a values shorthand to say that these people, you know, are full of discipline, something that Boris Johnson perhaps lacks, and, you know, also bring dignity to office. So I think we're seeing a little bit of that. And then you have other candidates who would technically fall into this, for example, Penny Morden, currently a minister, but getting a lot of attention for various comments she is making, such as there was an op-ed linked to D-Day anniversary, which is, you know, talking about the ship is as important as the captain and so forth. So I think if we do end up in a leadership contest, I would expect there to be a lot of people playing up their military and service credentials. I also think that because one of the things about Boris Johnson is, you know, it's a classic example of how a politician strength can become a weakness. But Tory activists used to love the kind of ruffled hair, the hanging out shirt. They're now cross with it. And so the idea of some military man with polished shoes and regulation hair is much more appealing. As, as Katie said, it's part of that Tory tendency to kind of overcorrect that, you know, in a leadership contest, they always want someone who is the opposite of what went before. And James, voters looking for someone with military credentials is something that's very common in the States and perhaps less so in Europe, perhaps. Can you talk a bit about why that has attraction in certain places? I think it is because, I mean, I mean, in the US, it's because it's a kind of frontier society. I mean, I think we could go into a kind of, I could waffle on about the 19th century for, for longer than, than Katie would like. But I think the point here is that there is a sense that, you know, as Katie says in her piece, there is a kind of public sense that, you know, all of our public institutions are, are failing. Probably the two that people would say are not are the NHS and the military. And so people who serve in those have a particular kind of cachet and credit with people. And I think, as Katie says, you know, you look at how much the army is sent in to deal with problems, you know, vaccine rollout, you know, who's going to do the logistics? The army, you know, Storm Elwin cuts off people's power. Who's going to restore it? 
the army. You know, and I think that that's why people think that, you know, people think the army gets stuff done. And as people become frustrated with politics, people are like, right, what we need is someone with that kind of military sense of discipline and strategy to come in and run the shop. I mean, that is the appeal. And then also, I think, as Katie says, you know, it's the idea that, that military people have a kind of sense of duty, that, you know, that they put service above self. I mean, that's the other part of the appeal. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.